Amen. Thank you so much for being sensitive and obedient to the Holy Spirit today. Man, I tell you, when the Holy Spirit moves, it's just so refreshing, isn't it? I mean, isn't it nice to come into a church that just allows the Holy Spirit just to do what He wants to do? We're not here about a program. We're not here about an agenda. We don't have something set up in the bulletin and we're following things. And not to say that's wrong, but we just don't do it that way. We just let the Holy Spirit move. And so when you're obedient to that, that makes it makes it good. And it makes it uh, productive. I want to speak this morning on the true blessings of God. The true blessings of God. And I want to take off from where we ended last week. Last week we were speaking on the topic of godly blessings. And we asked the question, are God's blessings always good? Are God's blessings always good? And we used a text verse that week, which is also our memory verse for the week. Does anybody remember it? Romans 8:28. And we know, say it with me, and we know, you can read it, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We discussed last week in great detail, or pretty good detail, the fact that God loves us and that everything he does for us is always, always, always for our good. He does nothing or allows nothing to happen in our lives that would hurt us or destroy us he always is for us, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter where you are, are at in the circumstances of life. If you love the Lord, as this verse says, that all things God works for the good. All things God works for the good. And he never brings destructive things in your life because he's mad at you or because he's forgotten about you. But with this statement, that doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to good people. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, it says, For he, God, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So there are going to be things that are going to happen in your life that maybe aren't so good. But we need to understand how those things, how they apply and where they apply into our lives. See, there are some things that happen just because we live in a fallen world. There are some things that just happen to everybody, no matter who you are. You're going to get sick. You're going to have a cold. You're going to have a flu. You're going to have some things. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make you less spiritual when you have some of these things happen to you because we just live in a world that's full of germs and full of bugs and things that happen. Car accidents happen. Things just happen sometimes. So I'm not trying to over-spiritualize Everything that happens is the devil trying to get at you. I don't want to over-spiritualize things like that because that makes us weird. And I don't want to be weird. I just want to be normal. I just want to be a godly man that understands that sometimes bad things happen to good people. And at the same time, there are things that God allows specifically to happen to me that are intended to get my attention. Because God's purpose is always higher than my purpose. When life is hard, it's for a purpose. Trials and difficult times in the life of a Christian are an opportunity to find out how big 
God is. Does that make sense to you? When things happen to you, those things are, up, are, are intentionally on purpose to show you that God is bigger than you. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't know about you, but that gives me great comfort to know that my God is bigger than me. Because if I was as big as God, then God is not very big. And God is not very powerful. I like it when I know that God's thoughts are higher than mine and his purposes are higher than mine. It's not just about me. I like that. That gives me comfort. With all that said, last week we also established that really what God wants in my life and with him is a relationship. With as big as God is, his primary purpose for creating me and for creating you is for a relationship. He wants that with you and me. As big as he is, he's still concerned about the smallness of me and the smallness of you, and he wants a relationship with us. That's why he made us. It wasn't because he was lacking in anything. It wasn't because he needed anything from me. It wasn't because I could do anything for him that he can't do for himself. All he wants is a relationship. And that's why it is. That's why I'm here. And, and unfortunately, sin got in the way of that with Adam and Eve and, and the, the garden and the fall happened. And now with that chasm that called sin, there had to be salvation that had to come in to restore the relationship. And that's why when we read verses like we just read um, that God works for the good of those who love him, there, is, uh, there are those, those hooks for those that love him. And, and we're going to talk in another Sunday about the conditionalness of God's blessings. Because God's blessings truly are conditional for his children. Not every man that walks this earth is a child of God. We're all a creator, a creation of God, but not a child of God unless you've accepted Jesus Christ in your life. And when you accept him in your life, now that qualifies you differently to be a child of the Lord. And God deals with children differently than he deals with his creation. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later today. But it's important for us to know that God is actively working on his side for our relationship. He has every right to work on his end so that our relationship with him is pure and that is established. And he does that through a number of ways. We talked about how God, God works through a variety of, of paths with us when it comes to uh, how he works in our life. Um, not every good thing or bad thing, is not, none of it is wasted in God's plan for us. None of it is wasted. If God's goal is to have a relationship with him, our goal should be to want a closer relationship, re- relationship with him day by day. See, God's love is perfect. He doesn't love me more or less depending on the, day, the time of the day or the time or the phase of my life. He loves me perfectly. And if you're perfect, you can't improve on perfection, can you? Perfect is perfect. God's love for us is already perfect. But my love for him, like in everything else in my life, is changing. I'm progressing or I'm regressing constantly. 
So my goal as a man is to allow my love to grow for him into his perfection so that my love at some point in time, probably not in this world, but my love will be perfected towards him like his love is perfected towards me. That's what he wants from us. In that relationship side, he wants it to be a two-way street. As much as he loves us, he wants us to have as much love for him. But with that, he gives us free choice. You can't have love if there's not choice involved. Love and choice go together. If you have no choice but to love, then that's not true love. That's a headlock. (laughs) And that's beating into submission. And that's not true love. True love is when you say and when you do and when you prove love basically to Jesus every day because you can, because you have the ability, because you choose to, and that's what motivates the Lord. So our goal is to um, work in our life not to gather the temporary things that we might consider God's blessings, like a new car, a new house, abundance of money. Those are all good things, but my goal is not to die with the most toys. My goal is to die with as much love as I can have for Jesus. That's my goal, that I should let my goal be, Lord, I want to love you more today, regardless of what's going on in my life, whether you're blessing me with all the abundance of this world or I am going through a severe trial. My goal in all of that should be to love Jesus more and more and more every day. So today I want to take off, I want to take off from that, and, and, our, our, and our title of the sermon today is The True Blessings of God. The True Blessings of God. What are those? In our text for today and our memory verse for this week is given to us in Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses in Hebrews chapter 12. Read these with me if you would. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now, I love this verse because we're being, there's some good instruction in this verse for us. And we're warned of some things that there are hindrances in our race. There are hindrances And there are things that we must lay aside if we're going to run the race with perseverance and finish the race. Now, these hindrances that we're talking about are not necessarily ethically or morally wrong in themselves. But what what makes them a hindrance is that we allow them to take up more space in our life than what we have bandwidth for. See, we can only do so much. We are limited in our resources. We're limited in our time. We're limited in our money. We're limited in everything that we are. We're limited. So we only have such a bandwidth to work in. And when things like things that are morally neutral, that are ethically okay, when they become too much of a bandwidth eater or too much in my time, all of a sudden what was morally neutral might become morally sinful because it's taking too much of my time and it's turning, into, it's turning into an idol, which means that I'm putting it before God 
in my life. So what is what God intended to be morally good and neutral, I allow to be wrong because of my perception of them and my, my goal to achieve them and get more of them, whatever the, them is, all of a sudden takes more precedence in my life than my pursuit of God. Now what is morally neutral becomes morally wrong because I've allowed it to become a hindrance in my life. So there's two different things here. There is, there's the things that hinders, and then there are the sins that entangle. Now, we all know what those sins are. Individually, you have different sins in your life than I have sins in my life, but there are sins that we just know are wrong, so we should obviously stay away from those. But what I really want to focus on today is the hindrances of life, the things that, that are not all bad for us on the outset, but as I pursue them or what I pursue can make those hindrances a sin. And those things can, can destroy and can tear down my relationship. When my goal is to build a relationship, the hindrances can tear that down. It reminds me of uh, a couple weeks ago, we defined worship. True worship really can be thought of really what we did this morning, and we pronounced it worth-ship. That's worship with a lisp. <laughs> worth-ship. Because when I really worship God, what I'm doing is that I'm giving him something that's worthy in my life, something that has value, and I'm giving that to God in a form of worship. So it's worthy-ship. It's worth-ship in my life. But what happens so often with us, with us when we allow the hindrances of life to get involved in our life that take up too much, of our time, too much of our priorities, too much of what we really should be focusing towards God, all of a sudden our worthship becomes worstship because I'm giving him the leftovers of my time. And now what was worthship becomes worstship, W-O-R-S-T. I'm giving him my worst. I'm giving him the leftovers. And I don't think that's very pleasing to the Lord. Do you? If I come to the Lord in my exhaustion, when I come to the Lord with, God, I'm, I'm really tired at the end of the week because I put so much effort, I put so much ambition into the things that I'm pursuing for this world, and now I'm coming into you on Sunday morning and I'm just exhausted because I'm burned out because my priorities haven't been right through the week. I'm giving him my worst ship. And maybe that's why sometimes it's so hard for us to come into the presence of the Lord and worship him because we're coming in with the wrong priority list. Maybe that means I need to spend maybe more time Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, spending more time in my worship of him then so that when I come in on Sunday mornings, I'm already in that worship mode because I'm giving him my best. That doesn't mean that we don't work hard on our jobs. That doesn't mean that we don't pursue the things of life and we don't enjoy life. It just means that I'm not allowing those things to become t- becoming hindrances of the race that I'm running for the Lord, that I'm not giving them too much bandwidth, that I'm making sure my priorities are established correctly so that I'm giving him the things that are worthy of him, and that is my best, my first, the first tithe of my money, the first tithe of my time. That's making him worthy because he is worthy. Now, I know that we probably are all guilty of that at some point in time. I know that I am. 
I know that I'm not always faithful with that. And I'm not condemning anyone here at all. What I'm really trying to say is just make it obvious so that we now know how to make a change in our life. See, God's desire for relationship, his first choice to keep us in relationship with him is to bless us with the good things of life. God really does want to use the good blessings of life to encourage us more and more and more to love him. Just like you would with your child. You want to give your children the good things in life, don't you? And when you give them the good things in life, you really would like it if they would come back and say, thank you, Mom and Dad. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for giving me a nice house to live in. Thank you for giving me the clothes that I wear. Thank you for providing for an education for me. Thank you for providing all those things. And God does the same thing for us. When God blesses me with the good things in life, what he's intending for us from out of that is that we would turn around and give him glory for that. And that we would say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving me a a sound mind. Thank you for giving me a strong body. Thank you for giving me an abundance of money, an abundance of, of things that I can enjoy in this world, and allowing him to bless me with good things that would make me closer to Jesus. That's his first choice. But are we always faithful in giving him the praise and the glory for it, or do we sometimes take those good things and let them become hindrances in our life? Do we sometimes, are we guilty maybe of taking the abundance that he gives us and rather than turning it back to God to build up his kingdom, maybe we become a little hoarder of it. And we become the pond rather than the channel of God's blessing. And all of a sudden, what God blessed me with that that he intended for me to give to others, he intended for me to pass on to somebody else, when I start to keep it for myself, and I don't have a a free flow of that blessing, you know what it turns into? A stinky, stagnant pond. And stinky, stagnant ponds don't produce life. Ultimately, they fill in and with the weeds and all the junk all all around it, and it turns into muck, and it turns into mire, it turns into a bog. And the natural progression of lakes, if there's not a good flow of water, they will fill themselves in and become a bog and eventually would become solid ground. That kind of reminds me of my heart. If my heart gets so full of myself and I'm not, I'm not allowing my heart to move into other people, all of a sudden my heart gets harder and harder and harder. And before long I turn into a stony heart. And God has no more path into my heart because it becomes stony because of the hindrances that I've allowed to come in. And they then become sin that so easily entangle me in the weeds of life. So God sees these things and he has an opportunity to work with us. Now, if, if we're looking at God the way he blesses us and we start seeing all this blessing come into my life, Let me just speak for myself. I'm not speaking for you. Or let me speak of others that I've seen that have had examples of this. But I think we've all seen it. Let's think of big lottery winners. Or let's think of athletes or somebody that gets a windfall of money really quickly. What typically happens with lots of money? Again, it's not, the money itself is good. It's morally neutral. It's not bad. But what happens? Let me just run through a scenario with you. If I get more money, an abundance of money, what's probably going to happen is that with the more money, I'm going to work less. I'm going to play more. I'm going to vacation more. I'm going to buy more. 
I'm going to spend more time with the things that I buy. I'm going to spend more time on my new hobbies. I'm going to make new friends that have the interest now that this money brings me. I'm going to change my friendships. I'm going to spend less time at church or probably with the body of Christ because now these people don't have my new interests as their interests because I have something now that I didn't have before. And all of a sudden, I'm going to find myself over time probably becoming less dependent on God and more dependent on my resources. Now, I think we can look at, if you go back and study, uh, do a study on the major lottery winners over the past 10, 20, 30 years that the lottery's been, and those that won the big lottery, go through and find how many lives were ruined because of it. How many families were split up? How many divorces? How many suicides? See, when the morally neutral things come into our life in abundance, if I'm not focused and protecting myself, they become hindrances to me and I don't finish the race. On the other hand, if that same person that had that abundance of money took that in, and, and he had God's heart in that. See, I'm not saying people with money are wrong. Don't misread what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying it's wrong to have money. I'm just saying, how do you use the money, okay? So if a person that had a windfall of money, that same lottery winner, if he said, wow, I have great opportunities now to give to mission projects, to give to local churches, to give to local bodies that are working in the kingdom of God, to use this as an activity that could focus my life more in stewardship for God, recognizing that it's not my money in the first place, it's God, then I'm going to give it back, and I'm going to spread it out, I'm going to use it, or I'm going to volunteer with my time. If I, had, if I can work less, that means I can work more for the kingdom. That means I can spend more and more time um, doing the things that would spread God's word and spread the gospel. And see, if I can take a look at that way, then all of a sudden what is morally neutral does not become a hindrance. It becomes a blessing. See, I think that we all, at the end of the day, want to hear this major phrase from the Lord. It's given to us a couple times in Matthew 25, and it said, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Isn't that really what you want to hear at the end of the day? I mean, isn't that really what you want Jesus to say? Well done, Mike. Well done, Bonnie. Not Becky. Bonnie. Well done. Well done that you expressed yourself with worship through your flags today. Well done. I appreciate that. And for the children that did the same thing, and, and as the way you expressed yourself with worship, well done, Zach. Well done. I'm proud of you. That's what we all want to hear. And how, we, how are we going to hear that? Only by living a life today, not allowing the, the, the morally neutral things in life to become hindrances to us. I read an article in the Encouragement magazine written by S. Robert Maddox, and it says this about blessings. To equate blessing with pleasure is a tragic mistake. Blessing should be equated with presence, the presence of the Lord. A blessed life is not without conflict, struggle, or even worldly failure. God uses a variety of means to humble believers, and humility is the doorway to blessing. Blessing is walking with Jesus regardless of the road. Isn't that good? Doesn't that give us an understanding truly of what God's blessing has done? Now, 
if God's first choice was to bless us with good things and maybe we weren't obedient in that, the beautiful thing about God is that he loves me so much. He loves you so much. He doesn't want to lose you. So what he will do now is he will bring other things into your life to try to get you back on track. There's three different things here. Three of probably, there's more ways than this, but the three ways I want to talk about this morning are discipline, uh, prolonged and seemingly, un, seemingly unanswered prayer, and through other unexplainable tests and trials. So I want to talk about these things quickly. Let's look at discipline. God loves and God disciplines whom he loves. He loves who he disciplines, and he disciplines who he loves. Now, that's simple to say, yet maybe not so easy to live through. I understand that. God's word is very consistent in this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Job chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Now, this is an interesting, these are Old Testament verses, but you know, God is the same today as he was yesterday. And I know that for some of us, it's hard. Maybe we haven't been taught this way. Maybe we've been taught that only the good things come from God. But I'm telling you here this morning that I don't have any problem when my heavenly father that loves me so much is willing to wound me for my relationship with him. That he's willing to discipline me because he wants the relationship with me. And I don't have any problem here saying that a loving God is the one handing out the discipline rather than Satan. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. And I'm sure if you've read the New Testament, if you've read, you've read this scripture before. But let me read it again, and let's read it together as Larry puts it up on the screen, or you can turn to it in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? <laughs> he's starting off a passage on discipline, and he's calling it a word of encouragement. Okay? Follow this. This is amazing that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and by the way, everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, I love this passage. It really has so much meat in it. But when I look at this, I, I remember back, I go back to my childhood days when, when my dad would discipline me. And my dad did not spare the rod. 
uh, at all. Uh, I can remember being spanked by my dad running in circles trying to outrun the belt. And the, fa- the amazing thing was the belt always caught up. My dad got dizzy, but the belt caught up. <laughs> but here's, the, here's the, the, the misconception that I think that we have, that, that when we say that God doesn't discipline us or that nothing bad happens to us or God doesn't cause the discipline or bring the discipline into my life, see, I think we're, we're having a definite, we need to redefine what bad is. The bad things that God allows to me may be bad to me, but to God they're not bad. Just like it says that discipline seems unpleasant at the time. Yeah, it's unpleasant to me. But God's saying, I know what it's going to produce in you. So call it an encouragement. (laughs) Call it a good thing for you. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and, and peace. See, when my dad disciplined me, he did it. He didn't say, Mike, I'm going to discipline you now, but because I don't want you to think of me as a bad dad or as a mean dad, I've, been, I've asked the, my neighbor Bill to come over, and Bill's going to take the belt, and Bill's going to spank you. So that I don't, have, I don't want you to think I'm mean, and I don't want you to think that I'm unfair, so I'm going to have my neighbor do it. My dad never did that. My dad wielded the belt. My dad knew what I did was wrong. He knew the level of punishment that needed to be meted out for that particular situation. Some spankings were a little more severe than the others. And sometimes he didn't have to spank at all. Sometimes he could just talk to me because in all honesty, the spanking was just the attention getter. It was the talk afterwards that really was the discipline. And when I learned that later in life, I didn't have to get spanked to pay attention. I could just say, okay, Dad, what did I do wrong this time? (laughs) And he would just talk to me. But the spanking had to break me and get my attention, and then he could talk to me. See, in God's the same way. I, I, I would trust God much more than I would trust Satan to discipline me. And I don't think God says, Mike, I'm going to discipline you, but because I don't want you to think that I'm a mean God, I'm going to let Satan do it. See, Satan is my enemy, and he is out to destroy me. So he's not going to stop. Once he gets going, man, he's going to take it to the end and I'm going to die. But God says, no, 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 no. I love you too much. I would not allow that to happen. So when these things happen, don't get mad at God. Don't say, God, you're disciplining me and you're wrong. No, God's right in doing that because he loves you. He's trying to get your attention. And the sooner that we can learn to look to him quickly, the less severe the discipline has to be in our life. True love requires discipline and structure. See, Satan may come to you with all kinds of promises. He says, if you follow me, I'll let you do whatever you want to do. There are no rules. There are no absolutes if you follow me. You can can have sex. You can run around. You can do whatever you want to do. I'm not mean like God that says no. Is that love? See, the devil always puts enough truth in something to get your attention. But true love requires discipline. I like what C.S. Lewis says about, about deception. He says, Nothing can deceive unless it bears a plausible resemblance to reality. In other words, there's got to be enough level of truth in that deception to get your attention, to get you hooked in, and then at the end, he twists it around for deception. So when Satan says, you know, a, a loving God wouldn't hurt you, Yeah, there's enough truth in that. The loving God will not hurt you, but he certainly will discipline me. 
Because he loves me, he'll discipline me. Satan's deception sounds good on the outside, but it falls short of being honest because he goes to the end and he brings destruction. So true love disciplines. What's the purpose of discipline? What's the purpose? To change a behavior that wasn't right. To change something in you that wasn't right, you need to be disciplined. A trial, in light of that kind of definition, is a painful circumstance allowed by God to change my conduct and my character. James McDonald talks about godly discipline like this. He says, your conduct is what you do. Your character is who you are. Trials are about what God wants to adjust in the actions you choose and what he is working in your character to help you choose those actions. And if you're one of God's children, you are likely going through a trial right now. (laughs) For the Lord chastises every son whom he receives, whether physical, relational, economic, emotional, or circumstantial, is the most difficult aspect of your life. But God is using that to bring you back into relationship with him. Hebrews chapter 12, 5 says, My God, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Do not just slough it off as nothing. James, J- again, James McDonald says this. He said, When God moves toward you to make changes in your conduct and character, don't regard it lightly. Go ahead and do some heavy thinking. Don't be casual or indifferent about his approach. Don't say, I'm getting tired or weary of this. Or don't say, I don't think God really knows my limits. No matter what painful hardships is yours right now, do not despise or regard lightly how the Lord is working. He is teaching you, and he knows what he's doing. (laughs) The Lord knows what you can handle. The Lord knows where you're at, and he's teaching you, and he knows what he's doing in the teaching process. Let's go to step two. Maybe... Maybe prolonged and seemingly unanswered prayer is another way that God gets our attention and that God uses things like that in our lives. See, we, would t- we, ha- we tend to think this. If God loves me, then he needs to answer my prayers in the way that I think they need to be answered as a proof that he loves me. Isn't that the way we think? Be honest. Do you think that way sometimes? I think that way sometimes. If God really loves me, then he's going to answer the prayers that are going to prove his love to me in my timing, in the way I want the prayers to be answered. See, again, there's an element of truth in this statement because God does love me and he does answer my prayer. But the deception part of it is that God has to answer the prayer in the way that I think it has to be answered in order for him to prove his love for me. That's the deception part. He doesn't have to answer the prayer the way I think it should be answered for his love to be true. See, if that's the case, if that's the kind of God that I serve, then he's really a genie in the bottle. He's really something I just rub with a a simple incantation to say, Lord Jesus, I need help. Come down now, help me, and here's my request. And by the way, God, this is the way I want you to answer it. That's a genie. And genies don't exist, just so you know. That genie in the bottle on, on, uh, you know, I Dream a Genie, that was just a TV show. It wasn't real in case you thought it was real. So if you're looking for a bottle out there someday that you're going to rub and the genie's going to pop out, you keep looking, but you're not going to find it. So if that's not real, don't make God that. Don't put God in that bottle to say, God, I only know when you love me when you answer the prayers the way I want you to be answered. 
where I want them answered. That's not right. It's wrong. God does love us, yes. But the truth of the matter is he's, his ways are higher than ours. We already read it. His purposes are higher than our purposes. And he has a plan bigger than our plan. Psalm 84.11, for the Lord is good. Or the Lord, for, the, for the Lord God is the sun and the shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. So we're blameless people. So now the question comes, you can say, but, but Mike, wait, 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 wait. You're losing me here because I've been praying for this for a long time. I, I, I have this need in my life and I have this thing going on in my life that the Lord just isn't healing me on. Well, let's just go into the word here and see if there's any examples in God's word that might help us with this delayed answer of prayer. The most immediate example that comes to my mind is Paul's thorn in the flesh. How many thought about that immediately? As soon as we went there, who, start, who thought of Paul's thorn in the flesh? And here's a good example. Let's read about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 7. It says, Therefore, this is Paul speaking, in order to keep me from, be, from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, Paul was the writer of most of the New Testament. Paul knew what he was talking about. The Lord was with Paul. The Holy Spirit was upon Paul. Paul was no questionably the most powerful man of his time probably of his day, probably of, 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 of eternity besides Jesus. So yet he had a struggle with him because, see, God wouldn't allow Paul to have a genie in the bottle. Paul wouldn't, or God wouldn't allow uh, Paul to have that easy strokeism to say, all right, God, just heal me of this so that I can be better. No, Paul had to, uh, Paul had to endure some things that he didn't understand. But what he did is that he understood that God's purposes were bigger than his. That God's, the way God answers the prayer was going to be better than the way, the way he wanted to answer the prayer. And like we said last week, it's in our choosing the same way as Paul did. It's in our choosing for us to have an attitude to get better and not bitter. We can get bitter if God doesn't answer our prayers the way he wants them to. But what he's saying is, no, I want to make you better. I want to make you better. And here's the thing that's kind of interesting about this. Maybe Paul understood that God's eternal priority in Paul's life was more important than Paul's temporary satisfaction. And here's the thing that's kind of amazing, is who knows? If Paul wouldn't have gone through that, then maybe Paul would not have been able to understand nor write the way he wrote in the New Testament for our benefit. Because he wasn't answered that prayer he then understood what it means to depend on Jesus as his sufficiency more than his temporary success. If Paul would have been healed of that, he probably would not have been able to write then that God's grace is sufficient. And that's to my benefit that he wrote that because now I can rest in that for myself as well. So if you're struggling, if you're going through something that God just is not answering, understand he's got a purpose in that. And his purpose is for your betterment not for your destruction. You know, I have a simple story here that is embarrassing for me to say, but I'll say it because I think it might help with this point. 
my dad died uh, a few years ago, and um, um, I did his funeral, and it was my first funeral, actually. Um, but the morning of his funeral, my dad was here. We had him laid out up here in the front of, of the church, and no one was here. I was early in the morning, and I was here just praying, and basically that was my time of saying goodbye to my dad. And I went up to my dad in the casket, and I put my hands on his forehead, and I started to pray. And I said, God, I know my dad was a relatively young man, only 79, and I missed my dad. I needed my dad because of some things that were going through in my life at that time, and I didn't really want my dad to leave. And I said, Dad, or I said, God, you can raise him from the dead. Jesus rose Lazarus, so why can't you raise my dad? So I started to pray that way. And, you know, it was, I, I very rarely have I ever heard the Lord speak to me so uh, sternly and so directly, and he said, stop it. Stop it. That's not your prayer to pray. And, he, and, and what he said to me in that, in that moment of time where it kind of shocked me, and I took, I took my hands off my dad, and he said, Mike, he said, you couldn't handle it, and neither could your dad <laughs> if, I rose him from, if I raised him from the dead. Because I would become conceited. Because all of a sudden it would be about, wow, I prayed a prayer and my dad raised and my dad would say, yeah, and I rose from the dead. And all of a sudden, like Paul said, because you may be conceited in this, I'm not going to answer some of those prayers. So if you have something in your life, maybe God's trying to work with you a little bit. And this is the dangerous part of this statement right now. Do not look at anybody that has a problem in their life and say, they're going to get conceited. <laughs> this is not for you to measure another person's spirituality if they don't have an answer to their prayer because you have no idea what God's doing in their life. You have no idea where God is building them and the faith that God is building them, and you have no idea when they're going to be healed because they may be healed tomorrow or they may be healed at the rapture, but either way, they're going to be healed. So just this is a personal message this is something that you have to look at, the things that are going on in your life right now. If your prayers aren't being answered, then focus on Jesus. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on my grace is sufficient, not God, where are you or why? All right? Number three, I know I'm running a little late here, but let me get through this. Number three, sometimes there are unexplainable tests and trials that come your way that you don't know where they came from. And you just, you know, you're not doing anything wrong. You're not sinning. Sometimes they just come up, they come to you. And a perfect example here that comes to my mind is Job. Job comes to mind here because here is a man that was a godly man. And I don't want to take the time to go through it, but it's really interesting study. Go back and read it. The reason that Job had the problems was because he was so good. If you really read the scripture right, it says, God said to the devil, consider my servant Job. He's so good. And Satan said, only the reason he's good is because you're blessing him. So really, God set Job up. <laughs> what happened? What was Job's reaction here? Job chapter 1, verse 20 through 22. At this time, Job had lost his children. He, he, he had lost his home. He lost his health. Things that just went, just totally blew up on Job. And this is Job's attitude. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Wow. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. 
Three amazing things that I want to bring out in this passage. Number one, Job worshipped God. He falls to the ground, he bows his head in submission, and he surrenders to the divine will of God. And he acknowledges that God is good and that God is worthy of our worship and reverence at all times. He understood worship. He was giving God the worthiness of who God was, even in the midst of his trial. At all times, in any and every situation, regardless of the circumstances, when Job had every reason to walk away, rather he chose instead to worship. He made the choice. He made the choice. Number two, Job blessed God. Later on, if you read about Job, his wife would tell him to curse God and to die and say, man, your God has failed you. Just curse God and die, Job, and just be done with it. But Job chose the high road of blessing. He chose the high road of blessing. With his body, Job bowed before God. And with his mouth, Job blessed God. During the most horrific of circumstances, Job still found room in his heart to declare the greatness and the goodness of God. And then number three, Job did not blame God. The text literally declares that he did not declare God's actions as empty, foolish, or unseemingly. He did not question God in that. In other words, Job held fast to his belief that in all things, God still worked everything together for the good. Regardless of the present pain he was going through, he trusted God in God's providential care. Job didn't blame God. He didn't get mad at God. And he didn't find any fault with God. Man, makes me feel bad sometimes the way I've accused God in my life. I want Job's perspective. And then here's probably one of the most amazing passages in Scripture written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. James chapter 1, verse 2, beginning in verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you have lots of money. No, wait, that's not, that's not what it said? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Boy, perseverance finishes its work. It reminds me of our text for today of let's perseverance, let us finish the race. Perseverance is the key here, isn't it? That we persevere through and, and to the end. And then finally from James McDonald, he says this, God loves you. And when he saved you, he started a process, started a process. He will continue until the day you meet him in heaven. Salvation was just the beginning. <laughs> it's just the beginning, but today he is working through you in your trials for your good and for God's glory. Jackie, would you come? Would you, do you understand what that means? That God is working a process in your life for your good and ultimately for God's glory. And when I can start to understand that, and when I can look at my trials and tribulations that way, it gives me a little different perspective on why I do what I do and how I get through the problems that are coming into my life. Now, I'm not trying to, I'm very careful here. I'm not being insensitive to the problems that you're facing, and I'm not trying to say that they're not important to you because they are. I'm not trying to just say, come on, get over it, folks, move on. I, I know how difficult it is. I know. It's hard. And, and I'm not trying to be insensitive to that, and I'm not trying to, to, over, to, to uh, exaggerate anything here. All I'm trying to do is encourage us 
that God is in control of all these things, and he's only trying to get us to fall on our face before him and to develop that relationship that he so badly wants us to have with him. That's all it's about. That's all it's about. See, God may be achieving great and glorious things in your life as a result of your problems. And let me tell you that he is. He is. He is. Your purpose, the purpose of this message today is for us not to focus on the why gods, but like I said last week and like I said earlier, that your grace is sufficient. See, God wants that ever-deepening relationship with us. That's what he wants. He wants it for now, and he wants it for all eternity. And if we can only begin to see how God's hand is working in our life to develop this, that we then can really start to see how we need to throw off all the hindrances. Our text, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off these hindrances. Let's not bring them in closer. Let's not, let's not embrace them. Let's not hide them. Let's not give them pet names. Let's throw off the hindrances that are coming against us. Let's throw off those things and let's say, Jesus, I'm all about you this morning and I want to run this race and I want to run it with perseverance and I want you to be the Lord of my life and I want you to be the center point of my life. So this morning, while you just close your eyes where you're at this morning, and I just want to end the service this morning with some, some um, inner thoughts. I want you just to examine your life and examine your heart. And I want you to understand to the best that you can, what is your end goal? What is your end goal? Is your goal really to love Jesus more today than you did yesterday? I know it's hard to measure that, but go, think, think back of your life six months ago. Think back of your life a year ago. Are you closer to Jesus today than you were six months ago? That should be measurable. There should be some fruit in six months that would, that would say to, that would show in your life that you love him more today than you loved him six months ago. If you want to hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful, then these type of messages must be taken seriously. You must let the Lord work in your life so that he can get your attention. I know we all struggle. We all have struggles this morning. So I I just want to... I want to end the service. You're free to go in a few minutes. I'm not going to linger here. But this morning, if you are honest and if you have some struggles in your life that you just say, Jesus, I need your help. I see the things in my life. I see them either as discipline. I see them as unanswered prayer. I see them as just unexplainable things. God, and I'm not going to ask why anymore. I'm just going to say your grace is sufficient. So this morning, if you just want to come and spend some time with the Lord this morning and just lay your life before him and say, God, I'm opening my life up to you now. I'm seeing this blessing for what it really is. And I'm not going to allow it to take me away from you. I'm not going to allow it to be a hindrance in my life. I want it to draw me closer to Jesus. This morning, as we sing this song in closing, I'm just going to open up the altars this morning. If you want to come and pray, the altars are open. We want to pray with you. If, it's, if you need to go, you're welcome to go. 
But I just want to make sure that we have an opportunity to examine our hearts this morning so that we hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful. if you would. Let's sing the song.
thank you, Father, for this day. Bless us as we go to our homes today, Father, and I just pray, God, that our, our lives would be ever closer to you today. And Lord, that all the things that are happening in our lives, no matter where we're at in life, God, we recognize who you are. We give you praise. We give you glory for the blessings that you bring into our life, whatever form they take, that they would, cl- they would draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, we love you. We worship you because you're worthy. Amen. Amen.